Our guest today is one of the most respected riders in the peloton. Off the bike, his rivals described him as pure class and an absolute gent. All that changes though, when he gets in the saddle. Known as one of the toughest competitors in the pack and one of cycling obsessed Belgium's biggest stars. Few have achieved what he has in his 17 year career with so many moments that others can only dream of, like lifting the cobblestone aloft in the Roubaix Velodrome, securing the Olympic gold medal on the roads of Rio and wearing the yellow jersey at the Tour de France. That's not to mention topping the UCI rankings in 2017. It's time to welcome one of the sport's biggest icons. Please sit back and enjoy our chat with Greg Van Avermet of AG2R Citroën. Greg Van Avermet, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Hello. Man, um, hey, thanks for joining us. I know you have some very big races coming up, so thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us before that whole thing starts. Um, but yeah, man, you've already been racing. You did Etoile de Bessege and just recently returned from Tour of Oman. How is the uh, 2023 season looking for you? How are you feeling so far? Well, I feel quite good, yeah. I had a uh, uh, bit of a bad start. Well, I had like a less good start after the uh, second training camp. I got a little bit sick, but then uh, Bessege was already quite okay and Oman actually also. So, well, I'm feeling quite good and yeah, the most important is always like classics. So. It's kind of a preparation. It's a, like an old school preparation. I still do like uh, some r races before the Rio Classics. But uh, yeah, that's some good recon rides this week. And yeah, it's always, it's always nice to feel the bit of, bit of cobbles and uh, the feeling on the bike uh, with the colts. And I feel I feel quite confident for the for the weekend. So if you want to be, let's say, a hundred percent at uh, Perry Ruby or the Classics, right? Where would you think you are right now, or at what percentage you start the season? You need to already have your first day in the toilet passage with 80% or already 90%. How far you want to increase still? Oh, it's hard to say. And when I was on top of my career, I always had, had to have the good feeling already in envelope. And uh, when I had a good feeling in envelope already, Stradi, I knew that it, a good terrain or a good Pyrenees would give like the extra 5% uh, to the to the really big classics. Um, now, yeah, it's it's hard to measure, but I think uh, I'm, I'm on, on a good level 95 because I think the races go that fast at, it, at this moment already. There is not, not a lot of march uh, to gain anymore. So if you miss the train, it's kind of hard to get back up and uh, and that's why I will always be really good in Nisblat. And also the time when I was good in Nisblat, it also predicted a good classic campaign. Yeah, that's that's what. Okay, you know very well that I was not a classics rider. They uh, would just not allow me into to Belgium for those sort of races. But <laughs> they were the races that I loved to watch on on TV. And to this day, they're it's 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 so exciting. But. You know, you've been pro now for 17 years. Has it always been like that opening weekend that sets the tone or or do things kind of switch, especially with this new generation and the, the different style of racing that we see these days? Yeah, I think it depends from the riders a bit. I think, uh, yeah, you saw like Bonin never won News lot, but then in the end of the, uh, of the classic campaign, he was always really good in E3. 
Ronde and uh, Roubaix. So I think it's kind of the type of rider you are that you can feel a little bit what you, how you work the best. And uh, some riders can really peak at one point, but cannot hold it too long. And uh, I think that's a bit the, the difference between. But at, at this point, for me, it's also quite hard to find. You know, it's uh, for me, 2019 was was still good, I think. And then the, after COVID was quite hard to find my really top level. I still can do some decent results in, in classics. I can still do, like last year I was third in East Blood, so it's not too bad, but really to find the, the highest level is, is, is hard at these moments because yeah, there are a lot of guys that go on altitude, they prepare especially, they do only, uh, they start at East Blood or they come even afterwards. So it's, uh, it's kind of, diff- it's more difficult, I think. Before you had like your, competitors next to you in every race and now they just pump up for the, the biggest event and you don't know really how good they are. When you uh, talked about uh, the, the COVID years, did you actually had COVID once or twice or never? And you think um, because the tour got postponed, the classics got put later in the year, did that throw you off balance a little bit for your preparation in the next year? Yeah, I think it was more like, yeah, this, this guy, I had COVID once in the winter of 2021 or something. But uh, I think it was more like the race calendar, you know, you know also how it is. You have like this preparation in your head, like you do every year, you just push the bottom of repeat and it kind of works. Uh, and uh, I think, yeah, that, that COVID year kind of. Uh, give like a strange feeling because you had nothing to do in April, May, and then we had an altitude camp on July, and then we had a quite heavy end of the year still, and then you have to restart it again, and it's it was kind of yeah, quite kind of a mess that to to get my body on my highest level, and uh, yeah, I was I was still I'm kind of still struggling a little bit. It's not that I'm really bad, but it's just like you know you you always want to feel you you know how it was when you were really good, uh, and it's hard to get that feeling back. And that that's the hard part, right? Like, you know, you you're always looking in the rearview mirror, and you know now with with power data, and you can go back and compare and whatnot. But you know things just seem seem to happen, and you know. I our our paths crossed a couple years at at BMC, and I got the impression that you were just a no frills sort of guy. Like you were just a hard worker. Your plan, your training wasn't overcomplicated. You kind of just got stuck in and and did the training. Has that changed at all since like you know uh, 2014 ish? You know the last time I spoke with you, has it gotten a little bit more scientific with you? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, all with plants and uh, data, uh, almost a bit too much, you know, but uh, I have also the feeling like you, especially when you're not going that well, that you really start looking into that kind of stuff. And before I had no, actually no idea what I was, what my FTP was or anything like like that, which is kind of strange, strange to be a top rider and not even knowing this. But you just kind of do the exercises and you just, I also went a lot just by feeling. And if I had a good day, I just went as fast as possible on the climbs. Uh, did my recovery as good as possible and had good three basic, like hard training, good resting and good eating. And that was it. And it worked. 
but when it gets more complicated, you don't find your level anymore. You start searching things and you start looking like you're, like you say, you know, you're looking to your power meters and you start looking what your numbers were before and blah, 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 blah. And that doesn't, that doesn't, yeah, not always help you. I think, I think at this point, like young riders, I think it has to be quite hard because you have to calculate everything almost at this point. And then for me, it's just not what is racing about. It's just more for me, it's always, I, I love to ride my bike at the first place and racing is just having fun. And that that's what always was the key. And I don't want to go in too much into that, that other side. We had um, a talk with um, Thomas de Gant and he said a little bit the same, like, Hey man, the young kids, they're so professional and so scientific, but I'm not sure how much fun they have, right? And uh -huh. you just mentioned it. Racing is more about fun. Do you sometimes feel like, I mean, you're younger than me, but like that our generation is a different way of riding and racing and training than the kids coming in now, even a pole, for example, Pitcock or uh, Wout van Art, are, are they different? And uh, would you ever want to be part of that or you happy where you are? Well, I'm happy with my career and I'm happy I'm, I'm doing it. And of course, now I'm more professional also than 10 years ago. And of course, if you would be starting pro, you would be the same as the young guys because it's it's kind of the you get in, pushed into. And it's it's hard, you know, if you're a little, a little bit insecure, I think it's just the, the only way almost to go. And it's kind of normal that they start doing this because they're more professional when they're younger. They know already more before they get pro so I think it's it's I think it's kind of kind of normal that they act like this I think it's they 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 know that position bike position is important blah blah they they need to have the good uh nutrition so it's 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 part of their life and we of course we have like the the both sides seen in in cycling and then we from for my Myself, I just like to keep the old habits a little bit more than uh, than than them. But I think it, in in general, it's 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 normal what they are doing. You you mentioned uh, recovery. You know, eat right, train right, recover well. With so many new recovery um, doohickeys out there, um, techniques, you know, boots, rollers, stretching bands, all that sort of stuff. What is your favorite like way to recover what is what is like the 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 thing that you really count on to to recover well just laying my lay my bed i think <laughs> okay so you're not doing a cold plunge you're not going in the sauna you know it's it's more like just man i just need to switch off the computer and just chill yeah i think Ale, we have all those uh things available in the team also like in the in the Ophinator, in the tour you have those cold baths You have those boots, uh, you can stretch whenever you want, yeah. But when I'm in the race, most of the time, I just like to lay on my bed uh, and switch off. Switch off. I see a lot of guys doing a lot of stretching and a lot of, yeah, using energy for this. And I do also a few, uh, I try to stretch two or three times a week. Uh, but when it's really the moment and on, on the racing part, I just like to relax as much as possible and not wasting too much energy of the, doing that stuff. 
it's, it's so funny that you say that because Bobby and me, we were roommates and Bobby did a lot of stretching and he had all these toys with him <laughs> right. and it, it worked for him. It helped him. He won Perinese. He won a bronze medal at the Olympics. He was a bloody good bike rider. I was just like you. I'm like, no, I just want to lay on my bed, maybe read a book. I did next to no stretching and I guess I was also a good rider. So I guess whatever makes you happy, that plays an important part. Wouldn't you think? If they force you to do stretching and you would hate it, I don't think it would help you, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I, um, on a, like I saw like Brad Book, Walter, for example, I was one time roaming with him, I think in Tirena or something. He never l lay in his bed and I was like, ah, Brent, just lay down, you know, try to relax yourself instead of doing all those exercises. But for him, it was kind of to do this exercise. It made him his his mind more peaceful and more ready for the day after. And it's like you said, you know, some people really need to do this, and other people they think like, yeah, for me, my mind is more relaxed than like doing nothing or just like you said, read a book or just had the the head of the race a bit and to be ready for the next day. And I think that's the most important. I think uh, everybody has to do what is good for it and. Also, in terms of what they, a lot of teams uh, give you things what you can use and you can, in terms of recovery. But I will always have like, I have my idea over it. I try to do some research and then I said like, is it worth it or not? And then, yeah, I made the decision to do, to do it or not do it. And that's, that's kind of a, a good thing to do, I think. One of the most important parts, I think, of a cycling team, which are, is often overlooked are the swaneurs, they go by the name massage therapists, swaneurs, carers. But you've, I remember you had a swaneur for, for, for a long time. Um, I'm wondering if you still have that same swaneur. And if you can just explain a little bit about the relationship between a rider and, and a swaneur, because I, I think it goes a little bit deeper than just rubbing your legs, right? Yeah, it's just like a person you feel good with, you know. Like uh, he, he kind of he kind of defends you always, and he he knows what you need. I think that's really important. He he just cares about you as much as possible. You can text him just before sleep to get something out of the camion or you or something, and he just jumps off said he gets it. And it's kind of those things that is really important, I think. And uh, yeah, I have Tibu. Already for many years uh, from BMC, and he also went with me to Agile Desert. And it's that kind of person when I would text him tonight and I say, I need a massage for the envelope, that he would be here in 30 minutes. So that's that's a bit, that's, I would never do that, but it's 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 like this. It's it's, it's kind of crazy that uh, people really care about you and they, they just follow your career as good as possible and they support you everywhere. In the good and the bad times, and that's that's such a nice uh, thing to have. I think, uh, yeah, a good relationship with a lot of people in the team is is just nice to have. And uh, yeah, that's what I also had a lot in my career. Also with BMC, that's also why I stayed that much that long in, the, in that team. Also because I just felt home, and I I felt like a lot of people cared about me, and they were helping me a lot to to to. Uh, to help me to reach my dreams. And yeah, that's that's really important in a, in a career. I couldn't agree more. A great team spirit, people supporting you, believing in you are super important. Now, Greg, you had a long career and you raced in a French team, in a Swiss-American team, in a Polish team, and also in a Belgium team. 
What, what were the differences? Which teams do you like better or not? Or did they all work scientific or relaxed, traditional? What were the differences or the similarities of uh, these uh, different teams? Well, it's a lot of difference between uh, between the teams, I think. And in general, they do everything quite good. But it's just like, for me, the BMCT was the, was the nicest period. Also, maybe because I had my biggest results there. Uh, but uh, there was, yeah, it was just nice because it was more open spirit. We had a lot of uh, different nationalities, what gave the group a good group atmosphere. We were uh, on top of the game. I think they, yeah, they did a lot of in, uh, in innovation and uh, and searching for the best material. Uh, uh, a lot of good support. We had the, uh, yeah, the best material which was available at that moment, and that's also nice to have. You know, if you if you are a bit spoiled and this kind of stuff, it's it's just nice that they were not really looking into much of the budget, but they just wanted to have the best for their riders, and. That was a nice, uh, nice way of uh, of having a team, but yeah, also Benotto had a good, good uh, period beginning of my career, uh, and it was more like based in, in in Belgium, a lot of Belgian riders, but uh, I think it was a good a good team to start my career with uh, because it uh, also beginning of my career I was not so confident and I was also. It was quite hard, you know, to ex to expose myself to new people, and then it's always nice when you can stay a little bit in your own language, and feel a little bit more close to home. But after four years, uh, I really felt to, that I needed to change uh, to to another team to just develop myself better. And then uh, BMC came, and the, I stayed there for twelve years almost, or ten years, because actually CCC. Was indeed a, a Polish sponsor, but and uh, and the base was actually the same. And now with the French, I would say it's also it's also quite good, but um, it's just like different. It's more it's more French style, which is not which I don't mean like a negative point. It's just like they're really based on on French French races, and they they want to perform as good as possible there. Uh, but it's it's quite hard because it's just not the same as as with BMC to get things done, which is which is not always easy. But uh, in general, I feel really happy also with that team. Let's talk a little bit about the the beginning of your career. Um, I understand that your father and grandfather were professional cyclists, and that you actually are named after Greg LeMond. Is that is that true? Yeah, yeah. My father was actually a big fan of Greg. And uh, he decided to sit to to give the same name as uh, Lamont, and uh, yeah, that's my family is 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 uh, all in cycling. So my two grandfathers were were cyclists. Uh, one did the Tour de France in uh, '59, and uh, the other one was a teammate of uh, Copy, Fausto Copy. So uh, yeah, I was. I was actually a little bit meant to be to to be a cyclist. Uh, first, I was uh, I, I did another way. I tried to be a, uh, a soccer player, but at, uh, at eighteen years, I made a decision to try it on the bike, and I think it was a good decision. Um, yeah, you were a goalkeeper, right? Which is yeah. then the position in soccer that the, the person that doesn't run and move too much. <laughs> so from like standing still for ninety minutes and being focused on the ball. What made you change to cycling where you then have to move 
for two or three or four or five hours. And how do you get in contact with your first cycling team? Do you just show up? Hey, my name is Greg and I want to race. Or how did that happen? Yeah, it was uh, not like uh, as a goalkeeper, you have only one spot actually in the team, in the team that you can play. So uh, I, I kind of lost my spot, and I was a, a lot of second goalkeeper, so I was not playing that that much minutes. And uh, that actually that let, let me decide to just uh, just try it in cycling, and it went that that good that that I actually uh, said to myself, yeah, maybe it's it's stupid to not try it. Uh, and yeah, I actually started only as a under 23 so it was quite late but then yeah with the connection of my dad also and uh Dirk the wolf he had a small team he's also he he, he was a, he's a former winner of Leisure best in Liege. so he he came in contact with my father and there I actually started just to just to to find the cycling team in, in belgium is not that hard <laughs> so we have we have plenty and we have a lot of races so uh, yeah it went it went quite well and quite quite fast, but uh, I was happy with my choice. But yeah, there's a lot of races. There's a lot of history in Belgium. But we hear so much about the pressure on young Belgian cyclists to be successful. Um, can you give us a little bit of your view on how you're able to seemingly, in my eyes, navigate that pressure so well during your 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 career so far, and maybe maybe some suggestions of um, you know to the to the young Belgian kids coming out there because you always seem to keep your nose out of a lot of you know the the media hype and and whatnot. But yeah, I'm I'm interested to hear about that from a Belgian the pressure of growing up to be a cyclist with so much history in the sport. Oh yeah, it's it's not too bad. It's it, it has positive and negative points in Belgium. You know, when we have we have, our sport is probably the biggest one, or after soccer the biggest one in the country. So it's it's a lot of people love cycling. So in in the end, if you go out like today, if I go out, there's a lot of people waving and saying hi to me. So it's it's kind of nice that you that they just still like what you're doing. On the other side, of course, you have a lot of. We have a lot of newspapers uh, and a lot of journalists who want to have a piece of you. And I think in general, I think you have to always focus on your performance. And when when you have a, an article or like a visit or a TV uh, program that asks you, you always have to think about could what is the best for my performance. And a lot of times I just said no to it because I just wanted to be home relaxing and i think that's 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 really important for a belgian guy to to find the to find the balance and it's not always easy because if you keep on living in belgium like ramco for the moment or what who are for the moment the most uh famous cyclists in belgium it's not always easy to go to the supermarket because then you just you know people just come to you and take pictures and they just they just interrupt you a little bit, but most of the time, and in, in general, in my career, I'd never had like really awkward moments that that people disturb you at the wrong moment. So it, uh, they they also respect still a little bit your privacy. And I think if you just be be uh, uh, you know, just kind at, at at the at the right moments, the the people don't don't disturb that much. Um, now it sounds like you're almost a little uh, too shy, uh, Greg. Do you actually realize that even though you're Belgium, you must be, I don't know, in the top 10 of all Belgiums of all times? I mean, you're Olympic champion. 
you know, you want Tireno Ariatico, uh, you want the Headfolk, Paris-Roubaix, Yellow Jersey in the Tour, Stage Runner in the Tour. There's not many races where you did not perform yet at the highest level. Are you aware of the fact that you, in modern history, at least you, one of the biggest heroes in Belgium and probably the most reliable with the longest career of all of them? Are you actually aware of that? Or you go, nah, nah I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of my career, yeah, but I always I always think like, yeah, I just started and I just wanted to do as best as, 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 as possible. And I never thought I would kind of win this kind of races, to be honest. Uh, like we all, we all start the same, I think, with uh, with the idea we love to ride the bike. And when I signed my first contract, I was essentially super happy to uh, to just start. And then I was not even thinking about what I could win. And if I can, uh, I'm 37 now, and if I look back now to my career, I'm super proud about uh, what I received because I would never. Imagine that I could be that good, uh, but uh, yeah, I was. Yeah. I just loved what I'm doing, and I had a lot of ambition. Of course, I wanted to perform, and I always had the thing in my mind that I could do something. Uh, I I had something that somebody else could not do at certain races, and then this kind of thing, I I kept believing, uh, especially in the classic races. I knew that I was at some point, even I was not winning or. Not that close to the victory. I always had the feeling like, yeah, if I get a little bit better, I maybe can start winning those kind of races and this kind of thing. I always kept believing, and I think this kind of uh, thoughts uh, make me help to to finally win that races. You know, I I am terrible at golf, but I love watching golf. I love playing with it. I just watched the Netflix series of uh, Full Swing, or I think that's the name of it. But I heard this quote from Tony Finau, and he said, winners are just losers that didn't give up. And I paused the movie and I wrote that down because I'd never heard that before. But like, that's so true for cyclists, right? Like Jens just mentioned your amazing Palmares or resume, right? Like you've won the biggest races in the world. But now that you are 37, um, what's left to check off that list for you? What, 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 what is really that, that motivating factor for you right now? Well, I still to finish really well. I think, uh, I think, uh, that's the most important. I'm not going to say I want to still win a, a big race. Uh, but I think to finish quite well, you know, at the top level, riding the finals in the classics, uh, getting close to victory again, I think that's the most important thing to to finish it off, uh, yeah, of course, you always dream to still win Flanders, but I also I'm, I'm quite uh, yeah, with my feet on the ground that it's not going that easy, uh, going to be that easy anymore to to reach that with this kind of generation. But uh, yeah, it's more about just finishing it off well on a really high level. And to be honest, in my mind, uh, the, the the feeling that I could be longer at the highest level uh what i was meaning like really on top level uh but yeah with with the age and and the covid it it's 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 not going like i wanted to have at this point uh but i still want to have one or two seasons then goes like i really wanted to go hey um greg since since i retired i worked for tv as a commentator and every time any race had a hilltop or uphill sprint, your name came up as one of the first. Normally, it's Michael Matthews and your name or Peter Zagan. 
What is it that made you so good at, let's say, 500 meter, maybe a kilometer uphill sprint? Is it naturally, is it your talent or you train specifically for this sort of uh, stage or race finishes? Because you were always really good at this. Well, I think it's talented. Eh? I think you just have to have this kind of physical capability to to have high power over one minute. And uh, this helps me also in the classics. I can, I can, I, my, my uh, maximum power was really high, but I can also do it like 10 times. And that's just what helps me in this kind of races. And yeah, like you said, in my career, I always was looking to this kind of finishes where you had a punchy, fin uh, punchy uh, finish. And this, yeah, it always came with good results. And of course, you also, when you do something good, you also have to start training it more and more uh, just to get better at it. And uh, yeah, that's just nice to have because yeah, I'm never going to be a, a great climber or like I also in a flat sprint on uh, on really fast stages, I was always a little bit too slow to beat the, the real sprinters. So then you really start focusing on what you're really good at. And uh, that's what I did also in my career just to, to just get the maximum out of those uh out of those finishes well on top of that physical ability and you kind of alluded to it being in the final of the classics you know the classics opening uh, opening weekend is right around the corner so i don't want you to give away any of your your secrets there but what is it like what other things outside of the physical do Riders like yourself have to think about in those finals of those classics. Sure, yeah. You look the parkour. I think the parkour is really important. You know, uh, uh, you have to read read it up really well. That you have the wind. You have the sectors that that are headwind, sidewind, or uh, tailwind, and this kind of can be really decisive in in classics. And Ruba, for example, it's more like the, the the sectors with corners where you can make the difference and this kind of stuff. You have to, you have, you have to be aware in the in the race, and you just have to do your homework. It's it's like you said, it's not only being talented, but you also have to you have to uh, take everything off, and uh, that's you have to be mentally prepared. You have to look to fellow viewers. Like in these days, you can really watch into the parkour really well. And then you have to make your own plan a bit about how you how you feel, what your content is gonna be. Uh, like in Omlope, I have the feeling there are gonna be a lot of good sprinters also at the start. So yeah, that's gonna be also influence in, in the race. And yeah, you have to have the good guys with you also. You know, it's not sometimes like also in my career, I just didn't went like hundred percent full to just get a few guys with me to have no team riding behind you. And that's kind of the yeah, small stuff or the stuff you have to you have to talk, you have to think about before to have a good race plan and to to yeah to do this uh, that you can perform as good as as good as possible. We'll be back after this short break. Hey Greg, um, the question now, please just answer with yes or no, and then later you explain why. Okay, we talked about the classics, the races, teams. You would you take the race radios away? Yes or no? Uh, for me, yes. A and why, please? Well, for me, it's not necessary. Like, if you do your homework before, it's uh, it's re it's going really well. You know, it's in the end for me, the race radio didn't help me that much in my career. Uh, it maybe worked against me. So I think if you're prepared really well, 
you can uh, you can rest without a radio. I think the team meeting before uh, the evening before is really important, and then you have to make uh, clear uh, clear views and clear tactics. And in general, I think yeah, the radio it makes it even more nervous at the at the at the at the race because there are a lot of un, un, unexperienced riders who just follow what the director says and. Uh, a lot of times now, yeah, they just say uh, corner to the right, be in front. But if corner to the right and it's headwind, you don't have to be in front. You know, you just have to, you have to, you, you have to know where you are at the parkour, and you have to know where the direction from the wind is coming from. And that's not always, yeah, that's not always helping the radio. I think in the ears of uh, of, a, of a lot of riders. Mm -hmm. that, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I have to agree with you there on multiple points but uh who am i to say anything about what's going on in the peloton these days but hey let's face it you know most of a cyclist time is out on the road spent training alone but training partners make it a lot more fun who are your training buddies and perhaps talk us through like a normal training day there in in belgium when you're at home getting ready for the classics well as as Oli nasen who is training with me his brother is running with me. And then we have uh, yeah, we have Cole Coleman who is riding with Top Sport. We have Gess Van Uke, who is riding now uh, in the American team. Uh, he was before also with Agen Desert. And yeah, well, I think we were always like with bit four, six riders, also amateur riders will join. And yeah, the, you know, the the, the old the old days, he just followed me and he just did what I was doing, and that was kind of nice. But now these days, uh, everybody's a little bit more on a specific program, and yeah, that's annoying me sometimes a little bit <laughs> that everybody has to do these exercises. Or even when I go, just like before, I would go climb fast, and then they he just would follow me, where they now get just let. You just don't follow the effort and they just do their exercises after. So it's a bit, so like this week, we still had a few good trainings, you know, a little bit old school, like, uh, go, go, just, just go hearts on the climbs and go easy between. Uh, and that's kind of nice to have, you know, that's kind of, uh, is what, what I like the most, just to have a little bit racing and training, not too hard because we don't have to kill each other, uh, but, uh, just a little bit. A little bit playing. It's always nice to get uh, to get uh, the engine going, and that's that's the 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 thing I like the most. But it's kind of cool that we have a good group together. Also, like uh, we are not training these days always together, but a lot of time we just uh, try to uh, put our trainings together, and then you just have always some somebody to talk with. And I think that's also something nice in Belgium because we have a lot of cyclists and it 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 makes the career kind of easier I can imagine if you if you live in Germany or um, in the US and you're you're quite away from 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 cyclists from the same level and you have to train every every day alone I think uh, it would be cycling would be much harder for me like oh I just no oh, 9.30 we leave I just meet them we are talking and laughing together and it makes it makes it so much easier uh, to to do my training really well. So then, let me ask, um, as a family father as well, how do you finish your day? Like you go 
tell your wife, hey, listen, I need to go massage and then stretching and then I need to go to bed and you pick up the kids or you go, look, I grab a shower, I get the kids from school or how does the rest of the day look for you when you not the cyclist anymore, but the family father? Yeah, when I'm at home, most of the time I do as much as possible. You know, it is also, you are like 200 days away from home. If you then not, if you then start living still the same hotel life at home, yeah, you have no, you cannot make it anymore and you have also no life. So when I'm at home, I just, of course, I do my training as, uh, as, as good as possible. Uh, but afterwards, I just uh, try to do as much as possible and for my family to try to see my daughters as much as possible. And that's the most important thing, you know, I, I just put them to the to the sports club. I just uh, play with them as much as possible and put them into bed. And that's just, that's just nice to from being from home. It's at that point before, of course, but when we had no kids, I had more time to, to do kine and to do a lot of stretching and, and, and stabilization exercises. But uh, since I have kids, I just uh, try to spend as much as possible uh, with my kids. And uh, I think it's really important to do that and to find a really good balance because otherwise I've, I would feel really bad also to not see them when I'm home. And I think I, it worked out really well. I think that's that's how it should be. And I think, uh, yeah, for me, it, it was really nice to have this... Uh, to have kids in my life, also in my career, because yeah, it gave me also another point of view. And uh, like you, you, like you know, also it's not only only cycling, or you have to think about. And then you just have this other's opinions, and it makes it makes it also better, I think, for a career to have uh, kids. Absolutely, some balance and balance and uh, strong women around you definitely definitely help. But I have a question to going back to your training groups. Um, I remember when Mark Cavendish became world champion, we were getting ready for a ride and he had this little baggie with like 50 and 100 euro notes in there. Like when I go on a ride, I bring five bucks, 10 bucks. And I was like, Mark, like, why are you bringing so much cash? And he's just like, hey man, I'm world champion. If we stop for coffee, I pay. So you're Olympic <laughs> champion for four years. Did you ever have to bring a, a gangster wad of cash to to pay for the coffees for for all your boys on the on the training rides? Uh, yeah, most of the time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> for four I let years, them I let them suffer in my meal, so then I have to pay the coffee also. <laughs> nice, but it's it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's just like it's just a habit, you know. You just have to. A lot of guys are like most of the time in our group. It's only or me me that paying the coffee. A lot of guys that just also don't have a contract yet or on there on the minimum, but it's, that is kind of a normal thing that you just take the coffee and it's also not that expensive in Belgium. So it's, uh, it's kind of a, a jest and it's just also like, it's, it's cool to have them, you know, like I said, it's just nice to, to see them, to help them, to, to keep them, to help them in the career also. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of time to also think like, a lot of guys that train with me, they may, I make them maybe better, but they, for sure they make me also better because uh, because of them I get to keep uh, keep my motivation. Maybe then uh, just a, a quick little joke. They should one day surprise you with a shirt which said coffee sponsor. So you write in a jersey that says coffee sponsor because <laughs> you always have to pay the coffees for them. <laughs> but on a, on a more serious note. Um, Olympic champion 2016, um, Tour de France, yellow jersey 216. Did you and Tirreno Adriatico, you won the overall that year. 
did it ever crossed your mind to might try for a podium spot in a Grand Tour? I mean, you looked really strong. I was commentating on it. You looked solid and strong in that yellow jersey in the Tour. Did you ever think maybe I can reach a podium in the Giro of Vuelta maybe or, or never ever? No, I never was thinking that I was suffering that much in the mountains. You were still quite good in the mountains, but me, I had like a... And I couldn't, I could get a day that I was really strong, but then the day after uh, they had to wait for me. I was like, uh, Mickey uh, always said like, but how is possible? Like the day before you were 25 minutes before me and I was suffering. And now the day after I have to wait for you. I say, yeah, it's just like it is, you know, I just empty completely my tank yesterday. I tried to eat as much as possible in the evening, but the day after I had no legs. And then when it came up, Uh, like I could not push 300 watts anymore so then I have to really recovery so I it, it never really came in my mind to uh, to be a to be a grand tour rider so it was just stage races um, yeah like stages picking the stages recovery as good as possible really looking forward to the rest day because most of the time after the rest day I was almost feeling much better and then uh, yeah like yeah like Bang Bang Tour I could do because it was really my parkour is seven, seven days it's not that hard and Terreno the Terreno I won was actually the one that they they skipped down to the mountain stage <laughs> of uh, <laughs> right the snow so I was a bit lucky there well you know not to totally rub it in but before the 20, uh, 2015 World Championships in Richmond you stayed here in Greenville South Carolina with, with George Hincapie. Um I hadn't moved here yet But you remember that steep hill going up to George's house. Um, was There was a Strava segment created for it, and you had the best time for a long time. So I think it's, um, I don't know, 800 meters or maybe a kilometer or something like that. Do you know who has dethroned you on the G's Hill Strava segment? Wild, no. wild guess. His son? Enzo. Enzo uh, yeah. now has the KOM... Um, that's crazy you know it, yeah you got to get back to greenville to to give it another shot because uh and enzo's you know dropping us at will on these training rides nowadays but like he's not allowed to have your kom you know like you you made that kom or they made that kom after you did it so. <laughs> no it was actually a nice time there it was uh it was actually cool to do because i i knew uh, george of course actually george is my idol when i was young i was really looking uh, up to him And uh, I still do, of course. But uh, yeah, it was actually really nice for him that I could stay at his place. And for me, it worked out really well. Uh, I just was was nice training parkour. I was super surprised that they have that, that of nice uh, roads in the US. And uh, yeah, for Richmond, it was perfect. I, di I didn't win that race, but I was close. And uh, yeah, I, just, I still have good memories there. Uh, the, the training was really good and preparation was nice. It could stay in the US and yeah, it was, was really a nice time. And I remember Enzo also, he was still small. And I follow him a little bit now on Strava because since then I was, uh, I, was, uh, I was following him. And it seems that he's going really well now and I hope he can, uh, he can do a good career. So now that we talked about um, the kids from uh, George Hincapie, How about you? You have two daughters, right? Fleur and Rose. What if they one day come to you with like a little bike in their hand and go, hey, daddy, I want to ride my bike. What would you tell them? 
more than they can do. I think it's it's one of the nicest sports you can do. Of course, you have the, always the risk. But yeah, this this year I have every, everywhere. I think so. I I'm, I'm I don't it doesn't have to be cycling, but I, I would love to to get into sports uh, because I like it that much also. So I think uh, if cycling for women now also get bigger and bigger and I have the feeling also it gets more and more professional and it looks also better on TV for the moment so I think uh, yeah why not if they wanted to try I will uh, buy a nice bike and then they can go yeah it's pretty cool seeing some of our old racing buddies and their their daughters are in the the professional peloton now um, pretty pretty cool how fast it goes but uh, talking about how fast careers go what do you think is on your radar post-cycling when you decide to finally uh, hang up the wheels? Do you have uh, any interests or any ideas, any investments, any projects that you're thinking about already? Oh, I, I would love to like to stay in sports. I would like uh, yeah, to do something in an organization or in a team or, uh, yeah, uh, I will see what's, what's coming on to me. But, uh, yeah, I would like to also finish a degree maybe in school. I think that's really important. I think... Of course, we, we have already a lot of knowledge, uh, uh, but we maybe don't always see the financial side or like the business side of it. So I think on that side, you just have to do a little bit of study. And that's also the plan I would like to do after after career first, do a little bit of study, not always directly say to yes to something that's is going, give it some time and just give it a good direction. I think that's the most important thing. So now that um, you are 37, and um, can we ask if it's a contract year for you or you have an ongoing contract or how much longer, how many more years, how many more seasons you you, you want to do if you could choose? Well, I have an, uh, now one-year contract with Jadilla, uh, so it's, uh, it's the end of the co of the contract this year. And I would say I do only one one year maximum more. I think it's it's been really well. Uh, I I still love what I'm doing, but uh, it doesn't have to go for five years anymore any anymore either. So I just I just would like to do maybe one year more, and then then it's it's been really well. And I'm 39, and it's I think Jens, you were one of the guys who who kept going on long though. How old were you? Um, I retired um, the day after my 43rd birthday. But hey, I had six kids to feed, you know, so <laughs> hey, man, I needed to work. Uh, I remember, I think, I think in 2015 you stopped, no? Uh, 14, 14, 14. 14. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we were together in, uh, in uh, California then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's, that's but you, you started also when you were 21 or? Um, no, I, I started like uh, riding my bike when I was nine years old and then went to a sports school back in East Germany. Then the wall came down, so I had a chance to turn professional. Um, in the year 97, I turned pro. I was 26 with a smaller I, team. And then um, I started with Credit Agricole in the year 98. So I was 27. I was probably one of the oldest neo pros in yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I didn't remember that. Well, Greg, you know, talking like we're so experienced now, you know, experience is another age for another word for maybe a little um, gray. What piece of information or advice would you give to young riders starting out in this sport and trying to emulate Greg Van Evermet? <laughs> well, my advice would be uh, quite simple. Just have fun. I think that's the most important. Don't lose the, the fun part. 
all the rest, uh, yeah, of course, uh, you have to look in, but I think you have to, you have to really like to ride your bike. If you don't have this, it's, it's hard to make a long career. And uh, you seem to be in our talk and the way I, um, experienced you as a bike rider back in my days, you seem to be really relaxed and, and, and mellow and, and calm. Is that something in your character or is it just wise because you have seen everything in cycling and you're just more relaxed now? Or you were always like really relaxed and calm about everything? No, I was more in my experience. I think I'm more, I'm more relaxed now than uh, when I was younger. When I was young, I could be a little bit more nervous because it was something that you, something new, something things that you don't have in your hands. When you see it, everything now, you know what's going to happen. It's much easier to... To really to uh, to uh, take care of it, but uh, I think yeah, still like also when it's like now Saturday, well, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna be a little bit nervous. Yeah, I think it's also like you need to have this also. You know, if you if you if you're getting too relaxed about it, that's maybe also not good. So I just I just like this week, I know I'm doing the things right, and I I just do what I need to do. But like Friday evening and Saturday morning, I need a little bit more like, yeah, now it's time to perform because it's it's time to go. You know, that's also why if you don't have this, it would be strange because I'm training from the first, from uh, 11 November till now to, to be good at kind of this kind of races. And if I would be too relaxed about this, I would say like, yeah, you do something wrong. That's great also for young riders to know is butterflies nervousness is is part of the sport right like that, that that's when you know you have expectations on on yourself i i get that question a lot uh from people like you know what should i do how can i relax before a race and i said is it an objective of yours yes well you know you're gonna have to deal with some some butterflies and some nervous energy um i think there are different ways of being able to guard your energy instead of just waste it but like you said through experience you've learned how to you know, use those butterflies as motivation and not draining of, of energy. But uh, Greg, man, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It, it was a pleasure to catch up with you. We wish you all the best, not only in this year's Spring Classic, but the entire season and then your swan song season, if that is true, one more year. So thank you so much for coming on Bobby and Jens today. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Greg for being our guest. Thanks everyone for listening. Please give us a five-star review and don't forget to share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mossa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens. And if you've got a Strava segment nicked by someone like Enzo Hinkapi, please let us know. Mm -hmm.